The Sharpened Artist Color Pencil Podcast. Inspiration and innovation. We're talking everything you want to know about this medium that we love so much. And we're your hosts, John Middick and Barb Sodiropoulos. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and this is the Sharpened Artist Colored Pencil Podcast. And as usual, I am joined by my longtime co-host and good friend, Barb Sodiropoulos. Barb, how are you? I'm doing great today. How are you? Barb, you've been on the show for four years now, something like that. Uh, I don't know. Well, Close, first started... Right? Guest co-hosting in 2018. So yeah, so five years. Okay, I was a little yeah. off. So wow, Barb has uh, she's been co-hosting with me on here long longer time. than she's. Yeah, that's a long, long time. So awesome. Yeah, and I love it. I have to say all of <laughs> all of my favorite phrases all your since we haven't since we haven't been on here for a while. I'll just get them all out of the way. You know, they've all just been building up inside. Yeah, they you. have. Awesome. I love it. There we go. <laughs> There you uh, go. <laughs> very cool. You forgot did, that. Yeah, one. very cool. I got to put that one in there too. So, um, but no, I'm so excited about season three. Yay. It's so yeah. fun to be back. It's so fun to record again with you. I love it. And today, I think this is an incredibly important topic to talk about. Something that maybe if you're just starting out in art, maybe you haven't thought a whole lot about this, or maybe you're thinking way too much about it. So hopefully we'll give you some uh, some takeaways today. So the title is Using Color Theory to Level Up Your Artwork. So color theory, it's, it's just one of those foundations of creating art and having an understanding of how color affects your artwork and how you can use it to correct mistakes, to elevate or bring attention to a particular area in your piece to set the mood or to tell the story is incredibly important. And we can't just ignore those things as artists. It's something sometimes you may get away from it. You may start just thinking more about value, but then getting back to color and color theory, I think uh, is so important for the artist. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a brief overview of basic color theory. We won't go into it too, too much just because will be a three-hour podcast if we do that. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little bit about how to use color correctly for values, um, a little bit of color psychology, so setting the mood for your artwork, and then some of our favorite resources for color theory. Awesome. Okay, now we're also going to bring back the Art Fact Minute. So we're going to talk about the history of cadmium hues, so stick around for that a little later on. All right. So let's start out then talking to the beginner, and we're going to talk about the overview then of color theory, what it is, what all is going on within this topic of color theory. So color theory, as it relates to what we're discussing with art and how it applies to you, it combines both the science and the art of using color. And it's based on how we perceive color and how those colors mix together, the contrasts, the complements of each of these. So when our eyes see something, like for grass, for example, that information then is sent to our eyes and to our brains, and it tells us uh, that it's a certain color. For example, green. 
So objects reflect light in different combinations of wavelengths. And our brains use the information from our eyes on those wavelengths and those combination of the wavelengths and translate them into what we call color. And so the actual color that we're seeing is the color that is not being reflected. So I think that's a really good uh, just sciencey breakdown of, of what color is. And if you're interested in learning more about that, definitely if you go online, there's lots of resources that will give you more information on that. So moving on a little bit with that, color can be broken down into categories. So primary, secondary, and tertiary. If you've taken any kind of art classes or if you took art through school, chances are you're probably already familiar with these terms. But if you're not, we'll go through them, explain them a little bit. Mm -hmm. So typically these are organized on a wheel format. A lot of people are familiar with that. If you're in uh, the monthly sharpener, you'll be able to see the little color wheel I'm holding up right now. Typically when we're talking about uh, colors, not only with the primary, secondary, tertiary, we're also referring to them in tints, tones, and shades mm -hmm. and a variation of hues or colors on the wheel. So yeah, for those who may not know, a tint uh, is a hue that has white added to it. So, for example, red and white together make pink. So pink is technically a tint. Um, and then when we're talking about shades, a shade is a hue uh, to which black has been added. So, for example, uh, red and black will make a burgundy color. And you can also get to burgundy using a combination of red and blue, but typically you can also just get there a little bit quicker using black. Black will tend mm -hmm. to be a combination of almost every color put together. So um, depending on the black that you choose, sometimes it'll be a warmer black and a cooler black. Uh, that, that'll, you know, that's something we can get into maybe a little bit later. And the last one is a tone. So that's a color in which black or white or gray has been added. So this darkens the original hue while making the color appear more subtle and less intense. So sometimes, especially when you're talking about painting specifically, uh, gray can sometimes be used to sort of uh, tone down uh, the value of something. And um, you can certainly do that with colored pencils as well. And we'll discuss mm -hmm. that a little bit later just in terms of some of the techniques that you can use in colored pencil to sort of get different effects and sort of uh, adjust things on the fly. Right. So going back to color schemes or color harmonies, uh, you can have complementary, analogous, or triadic. So complementary colors are opposite of the color wheel, so red and green. Um, I used to remember my complementary colors in school as Christmas Easter Oilers, so that might not make sense for anyone who's not Canadian. <laughs> Basically, red and green, Christmas. that Oilers part. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to explain this to John when we were talking about it, so hi. Uh, Christmas, obviously, red and green, Easter, purple and yellow, and then Oilers, blue and orange. And if you are not familiar with hockey, the Edmonton Oilers jersey colors are blue and orange. Uh, I am not an Oilers fan, but I grew up near Edmonton, so it was a very, uh, <laughs> was a very uh, natural <laughs> distinction just seeing the, that color palette all the time. It was the easy, yeah. it was my way of remembering it. Uh, and then, Analogous colors sit next to one another on the wheel. So red, orange, and yellow, for example, and triadic are evenly spaced around the color wheel and tend to be very bright and dynamic. Uh, an example of that's red, orange, and blue as a combination. So 
again, um, you know, c- color theory, these kind of color combinations and stuff, if you're interested, definitely is something you can find this information anywhere. Or if you get one of these little color wheels, all of that information I just went through is actually on the color wheel. Um, I, I think they sell them at most art stores. It's the pocket color wheel. And essentially it's got kind of a few different layers here that you can twist and turn and it helps you sort of identify some of those um color combinations either adding you know white or black or that sort of thing but i think those things are really good um starter resources if you're you know just and hey you're you're introducing yourself to color theory maybe you never took art formally in school one of these little tools are actually really helpful if you're struggling kind of with understanding color or understanding how two colors mix together to to combine and make another color yeah absolutely I would say that if you're wanting to uh, learn more about color theory and you feel like you're a novice or you're just starting out, then this is the best place to start is to get a color wheel, play around with it, especially like Barb mentioned, picking a color, okay, uh, like orange, and then rotating the inner wheel and putting the add black to it, and then it will expose which color we're talking about and then the add white to the orange and it will expose under there in a a little cutout what color uh that would create and this is the interesting thing about it barb you brought up red and pink you know that pink is not on the color wheel right but we think of pink as a particular color yeah it's there as it's not on the edge of the color wheel, I should say. It's it's under the sorry, I'll hold this yeah. up to the camera so people can see. It's under the yeah uh, tint, tone, tint. and then shade are right. all okay. I think that's not coming across very clear, but it's no, all it on is. there on it the, is. On the yeah. color wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So the same thing is true with tan. Tan is not a color, but we we refer to that and so that's under orange and that's a tint as well. So I think it's interesting that we have assigned a name, you know, in our era of time that we live in, has not always been the case, to (laughs) certain colors like this. And now we can refer to them, we can talk about them, we can distinguish even variations within a pink and a tan, you know, if if you want to call it that. There's a lot of different things you could call it, but it's an orange or it's a red is what a pink is. Uh, tan is an orange. Uh, this is the reason why, you know, when we're drawing skin tones, we don't just grab tan pencils. You know, we want to grab reds and yellows or orange because we're creating variations within uh, that particular hue, that set of hues. I have a funny side story quickly okay. about just about naming colors. A friend of mine. Yeah. We were talking about just we had this conversation on Facebook the other day about how red onions are called red, but they're not actually red. Not red. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, has anyone ever said an actual seen an actual red onion? Like they're usually not what I would consider red. No. It's more of like a purple or it's even a purple like burgundy a little bit of a violet color. Yeah. Like it's never actually like a blood red, which you would no. assume with red. So right. it's it's interesting how um when you think about certain things, even in our world that are you know, that are named, it's like sometimes they're given very, like the very basic color name. Yeah. And instead of, you know, 
what we've now kind of expanded into, especially, I mean, when you think about artist colors, I mean, it's somebody's job to name artist right. colors, like, right. you know, and it's probably the the best job ever. I got to tell you, or it's like people right. who name nail polish colors. They're always so much fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Or so the Pantone think, colors, you know, for, uh, yeah. for, for house paint and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's so much to color in terms of yep. like the naming and the understanding of it and the range that is possible. Yes. I mean, just adding a little bit of yellow to something just cha right. can change it dramatically. So right. just something to keep in mind when it comes to the color wheel. You have your your basic colors, but there's, you know, so much more to it outside of that as well. Yeah. And guys, it goes beyond uh, tints and shades because you've got blue, yellow and red on your color wheel that you move that around and you can see. The effect that, you know, it is supposed to have on the, the color that you're selecting, the hue on the outer edge. So a lot of fun. I, I love it because if you, you know, if you're taking that color, <laughs> I've got to do this all day. Keep saying I love it. Um, you have made me aware <laughs> that I do that. I didn't know. It. <laughs> I'm uh, like, there's that catchphrase. <laughs> Set it in my but, head. But I, I, I do enjoy looking at, you know, the color wheel and finding, um, a particular hue and then playing around with that and trying to figure out what, you know, what that would look like. And I, I used to do that quite a bit when I was starting out in colored pencil. And then I try to emulate some of those things. Um, and I think it's very valuable to do that. Well, I think it's a good beginner point too. If, yeah. you know, when you're looking at a photo and you're trying to determine what pencil color that you need uh right. sometimes it's not just one color sometimes you're combining two colors to really get that result that you're looking for yeah. so what's helpful yeah exactly like this is obviously not every color in the spectrum no it cannot be when, yeah. you, when you're when yeah when you're looking at these color wheels but sometimes even just having something like this and kind of holding it next to your photo reference or whatever can help you be like okay, well, this is kind of in the orange family, or maybe this needs to have, you know, a little bit more of a brown in it mm -hmm. or that sort of thing. And especially if you're not using a really big set of pencils, which, you know, we've talked about before on the podcast that you don't necessarily need the 120 or whatever set of pencils oh. to be able to create artwork. So, you know, having an understanding of color theory and having an understanding of how two colors mixing together, what that looks like, I think is a really great uh, exercise to just do for yourself, even in a sketchbook is just take some time and combine your two colored pencils together and see what color you get when you combine the two. You can even go right. as far as, you know, making a chart if you want, because mm -hmm. that sort of thing, um, I think, really just gives you a more in-depth understanding, not only of color, but also the medium that you're using and what's capable of or what's right. possible with it. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk then, move on to a little more intermediate or advanced uh, topic for color theory. And let's talk about uh, using color to correct values. Now, this is something I do all the time in colored pencil. Um, so color, it can be used to change the value of the work in a particular area. For example, if you're using blue to tone down an area uh, that's too red or too warm in your artwork, that's an effective use of that color. Uh, using red in uh, portraiture in areas 
like within the t like the tip of the nose, the cheeks, um, the chin. And if you do that, you'll create, you can help create that illusion of three-dimensionality where this is emerging from the form. And so instead of just this solid block, you've got some uh, dimension and curve within each of these features. And that's an effective way to do that. So the contrasting color of blue then will help to recede those areas. So when you're moving back away from that area, you're not talking about the, the pinnacle or the zenith of the chin or the nose or the cheek, then you can use more blue, more of uh, the cool colors to do that. So if we understand then how these colors interact with each other, then it'll allow us to make some corrections in our artwork. You know, I, I, I guess I should put corrections in quotes, right, Barb? Because yeah. It, it's it's a way of, of just modifying and layering to get to that end result that we want. So, and that's something that we do once we move beyond a beginner stage. We don't just get out the eraser anymore and just completely eradicate everything that we've done, but we can modify where we are by using color to adjust hue, temperature, form. Uh, the list can go on and on. So that's a great advantage, though, that we have as artists. So depending on the value, the same color can appear either lighter or darker. When you surround it with another color that is either lighter or darker than it is. And so, you know, I mean, that may not sound real mind-boggling, and it's not really meant to be. But if you play around with a concept like that on a particular subject matter that you're familiar with, then you can start to see uh, just the power of using values in that way with color. So I want to mention quickly here that there are some zones, especially if you're interested in portraiture, that I like to pay particular attention to when I'm thinking about the overall construction of the head of the model. So when I look at, and this depends on a lot of factors, but overall, Regardless of the lighting situation, I'm still going to think about these zones in this way. So I'm thinking about the forehead containing more white or yellow, certainly more yellow uh, in that particular section. And then as you move to more of a third section, the middle third section of the face, then you can think about more reds being in that area, more red around the nose, the cheeks, the lips, um, and uh, the ears. And then if you keep moving down, then you can add more of your cooler colors and more of the muted colors, even, uh, you know, blues, certainly in grays, but even greens and things like that. And that kind of can guide you uh, in a particular path where you can elevate your portrait, even without, you know, just these subtle modifications, even without having to understand exactly what may be going on in the particular, um, you know, uh, composition that you're trying to depict. So if we just stick to those kind of principles, you know, and I'm not talking about grabbing canary yellow and, you know, coloring the forehead and making it look like, uh, you know, this is a, a clown or something like that, but doing it in use some use restraint and, and be subtle about it. But if you do add some of these things, I think you'll be surprised at how you can elevate your work in a very subtle way.
I think it's it's great that you're bringing that up, especially because with um, colored pencil, especially, there's definitely some, you know, higher profile artists out there that definitely use that combination of really rich colors in their mm-hmm. portraiture. And they get such a interesting and, and dynamic um, color and tone when oh, they do yeah. that. I mean, certainly, right. you know, someone that comes to mind, somebody like Veronica Winters uses a lot yeah. of different you know, color blends and that sort of thing in her skin tones. And when you look Absolutely. at it quite closely, like it's very rich. And I think Jesse right. Lane's probably one of those as well. Like, right. you know, if you look at either of their works up close, um, you know, that's certainly just a couple examples of many. But, um, you know, both of those artists use a very complex palette in their skin tones. They're not just looking for, right. you know, right. basic peach or, no, or whatever no, to, to yeah. kind of do that. And, you know, I remember when I was in art school, especially, um, mm. From a painting perspective, I had an instructor that said, you know, sometimes you'll look at certain paintings when you're trying to achieve realism, you'll look closely at the painting and it almost looks like the skin is bruised because there's so many different like purples mm-hmm. and blues and that sort of thing that are kind of coming together to make those uh, shadows and that sort of thing. But if you're right. really struggling with realism in your skin tones, I mean, sometimes it's more about thinking about what colors you're using. Like a, a lot of times people will tend to want to go to browns and that's not necessarily. And certainly I used to in, in a lot of my early portraits because mm-hmm. you're thinking, OK, well, that's that's I, I feel like I'm seeing brown. That's what it should be. But it ends up making it actually look really muddy. And typically, if you go to some of these other, you know, just on the cooler spectrum of mm-hmm. colors, You'll you'll find you'll get actually a more natural results, yeah. Um, which it, it's it sort of at the time seems that counterintuitive, but if you practice at it and you sort of, you know, try to 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 do the the theory into practice, you'll see yeah. that a lot of times it really does end up having a more natural result. Yeah, it's more lifelike, and it it makes it appear very warm and natural. Uh, it, you almost, it looks like sometimes you can see like a person like emerging or something as opposed to, uh, using browns and blacks and grays and things like that. It, what happens, what tends to happen when we do that is everything looks flat and yeah. uninteresting and kind of boring. You know, when we yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing to remember too, when you're creating artwork is that sometimes it's okay for the, the colors to be, and it's from my opinion. It's okay for the colors to be richer than what they actually are in real yeah. life because that's part of what's right. making it a piece of art to yes. me, right? Like, I feel like, um, you know, certainly there's nothing wrong with wanting to achieve hyperrealism. And sometimes in, in, you know, depending on what your technique is, mm-hmm. you may need to use some of those colors. But I think if you're trying to go for something that has maybe more of an artistic look, uh, you know, certainly playing around with those combinations of colors and, and maybe even using like a purple where you don't think it makes sense, sometimes we'll actually have a really cool result. And and that, again, comes back to whether you're using the correct value. If you're using the correct mm-hmm. value, it'll still look great, mm-hmm. um, you know, as opposed to, um, what's the name of that artist? You just interviewed her. She does the really Peggy colorful. McGovern. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, her, her work's a great example too yeah. of oh, yeah. use of color and that sort of thing. So, I mean, we've given you kind of three really She's great such examples. A master. Of, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like, wow. How do you yeah. do that? It's so amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, yeah. you know, something, something like that is, is a really creative use of color that's still in the realism spectrum. So yeah. don't, you know, 
give yourself some leeway to sort of practice with that because you don't necessarily need to just be kind of in a little box with it. When you can be more comfortable with your use of color, mm-hmm. it can expand what you're capable of doing. Absolutely. All right. So looking at a more intermediate or advanced application of color theory and color, um, we're going to talk a little bit more now about color psychology and setting the mood for your artwork. So again, we just referenced talking about, you know, being a little bit more expressive with your use of color. This is sort of talking a little bit more about what your your color choices. So the things that you're deciding to, you know, combinations you're deciding to put together. So Color has a tremendous power in our lives, in artwork, and even our buying decisions, for example. So uh, people tend to decide within 90 seconds or less whether they like a product, and 90% of that decision is based on color alone. So from kind of a marketing and you know mm-hmm. retail perspective, I mean, if you're deciding to buy a can of, I know Americans call it soda, I was going to call it pop. <laughs> Co- pop oh, you mean here. Coke? Yeah. Yeah, so like a can of Coke, well, Coke, that's very branded, but I mean, it's a great example of something that's red. As soon as you see red, you're probably yeah. immediately associating Excited. that with, with Coke, right? Yeah. And yeah. red in itself has a lot of connotations in terms of, you know, the the sort of words and mood and that sort mm-hmm. of thing that's associated with it. And so when you think about color in terms of companies, they're very purposely picking certain colors to represent their brands so that their customers get a certain feeling from it. And you're, it's also possible to do that with art. You could do a whole series of drawings in cool color tones, and that'll really appeal to somebody who is maybe looking for something that feels very calm mm-hmm. or very um, at peace with serenity, that sort of thing. But, you know, you might also decide, okay, well, I'm going to juxtapose the idea of what what this color is associated with in the subject matter. So maybe you do something that's very the opposite of, mm. you know, something that's calm and peaceful in terms of the subject and do it in, you know, calming tones as, as a commentary, mm-hmm. right? So you could decide to, yeah, so you could decide to do a portrait, for example. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I like to talk about a lot in terms of how you can make photo reference your own is changing the color. Maybe you do something mm-hmm. monochromatic. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you don't necessarily need to use the local or available color that is in the yeah. photo. You can always change it. And right. certainly if you want more information mm-hmm. on that, John and I have talked about that. And we have some courses as well where we talk about using Photoshop or comparable programs to do to alter your images and so that's sort of maybe a little bit more of an advanced technique but when you get into wanting to be more creative with your artwork color can play a huge part in how you set the the mood and the tone and Mm -hmm. and change you know it can be a portrait of a child but because of the color choices you've made it's now having a totally different commentary A great example of that was a piece that was in the recent uh, CPSA exhibit um, that, um, John, I I believe you were showing me a picture of it. I think the name of the piece was Mm -hmm. Eve. Yeah. And I mean, it's done in very, very muted, dark tones. Um, And sorry, you'll have to name the artist for me because that's by, um, yeah, that's by Giddy Richt. And uh, we did interview her. So we'll have a link to her interview in the show notes and you can go back and listen to how she creates this incredible art guys if you don't know this though barb does have an art degree not only that though she has worked in advertising as a graphic designer 
for years and years. And so she has the experience also. So when you start talking about color and the mood it portrays and buying decisions and all that stuff, you know, this is something I would, I love to just listen to Barb talk about this stuff because she knows what she's talking about, not just in theory, but experientially. I mean, she knows this stuff because she's worked in this industry for so long. It's very valuable. Um, and I think a lot of people just ignore it and don't think it has much value, but that's, you know, that's a, uh, a bad thing for us as artists yeah. to just ignore this powerful tool that we have. Well, and as a side note, too, I mean, that's something to consider when you're, you know, setting up your artist branding, mm-hmm. like what colors mm-hmm. you're choosing for your website, yep. that sort of thing. Right. Um, you know, those colors can all represent you a certain way. And it's a little bit of a side topic from what we're discussing today. But I mean, there's a lot of thought that goes into those sort of things. And I yeah. think, you know, if you could put even a little bit more thought into your your choices with color um, from a mood and a story perspective. Um, that's that's the kind of thing, I mean, you know, when you're talking about entering competitions like the CPSA competition or, you know, even some of the um, artist magazine competitions that happen, mm-hmm. when you're talking about ways to set yourself apart as an mm-hmm. artist, like what makes you different? Because one of the... Uh, I guess, challenges that we run into sometimes with colored pencil artists. Sometimes it all tends to start in some ways looking the same. It's all people sort of trying to achieve the same things with it. And when you're talking about wanting to stand out from the crowd, maybe it's your use of color. Maybe it's, you know, a a great example, and I've brought her up so many times on this podcast is Esther Roy. Her use of color, like she's she posted something actually not long ago, and she does this quite often where she'll post the photograph of her reference so she does a lot of these beautiful pieces with, um, you know, riverbed rocks and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you'll see that the color, the actual real color of the photo is quite, you know, dark and muted mm-hmm. and yeah. a lot of browns. And then you'll see her artwork that she creates from it. And it's all these very vibrant, bright oh, colors. Yeah. And, you know, that's not true to reality, but it's a choice that she's made with her artwork to to make her artwork stand out. And now anytime I see a piece like that, I immediately know it's her. So, you know, your use of color can also yep. be a way to determine your style, your artist's yeah. style. It can be as simple as, you know, maybe your technique is similar to other people's, but it's your use of color that is the thing that is now, you know, making your work stand out from everyone else's. And so what I would say to that also is take some time to study the masters and See what pieces you're drawn to and why you're drawn to it. Is it the color? Is it the lighting? You know, think about mm-hmm. people like Rembrandt or John Singer Sargent or Caravaggio is another example of someone who gets talked a lot about, you know, in terms of his use of light and color. Um, do you get an emotional reaction? How long does it hold your attention for? Think about those things. Like, what is it, you know, are they using color as a way to draw a focal point into somewhere in the piece? That sort of thing. Like, you know, color doesn't always have to be vibrant either. It could be use of darker colors too. Like maybe mm-hmm. you're using black in one area and then in another area you're choosing to use warmer colors or brighter mm-hmm. colors for, for an effect. Like all of those things are a very important thing to consider when you're talking about advanced ways mm-hmm. to improve your artwork. Pet portraits are a great example of something where you would you could look at a functional versus an emotional portrait. So, for example, 
something where you're just drawing the head, you're representing the, the you know, the animal as it is. It's almost like a class photo type thing where, right. you know, there's nothing. The emotions coming from the client because they have an emotional feeling towards that animal for whatever reason, whether it's passed on or they currently still have it. But there's nothing necessarily emotional about how you've depicted it. Now, by contrast, you could do something that it was a little bit more artistic. Maybe it's a photo of the animal not looking directly at the viewer. Maybe it's them on a hillside. Maybe it's, you know, something where the lighting is a little bit more dramatic. That would be more of an emotional um, piece that where you've, you've done something in terms of color and lighting to infuse emotion in it and give anyone who's looking at it a feeling of emotion as opposed to relying on what the relationship is for that person to the artwork for them to have a response to it. Right, right. No, yeah. And you did that recently uh, when you uh, did that last painting of your dog. I thought that was just, it was so impactful because it was not a floating head dog, um, you know, drawing. And it was... It was such a peculiar pose that it drew you in and it made you want to see it. But it was so artistically uh, designed and the co- the composition was just, it was just on point. And, and you could look at it and enjoy everything. Uh, oh, it was, it's, it's wonderful. And those are, so those are the kinds of things that, you know, we, we want to do anyway. I mean, aside from composition, then... We're using color. We want to use color in that way as well. We want to uh, have the color stand out, but we can't do that if we've destroyed the composition. You know, <laughs> if we if we make something where it's sneaking into the frame or something, or kissing the frame and that kind of thing. But that's a different podcast. But <laughs> all I'm saying is that if we focus uh, on color, but we let everything else down and we we don't think about value and composition and all of that, then uh, it's still not going to be successful. We may. We may employ the colors that Esther Roy does, but, you know, if we're not thinking about all these other things, it may still fall flat. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that I feel like when you're getting really creative with color, to me, that is an advanced intermediate to advanced technique. Absolutely. Um, because I think you still need to have a lot of other things in place before that yeah. really ends up working successfully. Like art isn't just about one thing working it's about all of the things working together together, so the culmination of all these but working in concert if you will that's right (laughs) but it's so interesting barb because often what i see is someone will want to skip the rudimentary things and and go right to color what color is it that you're using right there right now what no what is that exactly i can't do this because i don't have that color you know (laughs) I, I'm saying that a little tongue-in-cheek, but it is true. I've, I've heard people yeah. say that. Uh, and it's usually a beginner that will say something like that. I don't have lime green. I Nothing I can do. I don't have dark indigo. Nothing I can do then. I cannot proceed at all, you know. But Yeah, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, when I think about, um, you know, my own journey with art from, you know, when I was younger, I don't. I don't hardly ever remember having anything that was giving me the direct colors to use for things or very, very rarely. And I think 
it's really important if you're in this, you know, if you're at a certain phase with your, you know, your development as an artist. Right. At some point, you got to take those training wheels off. Yeah. And you have to start using your own critical eye to start deciphering what color is because. And the sooner the better, guys. Yes, because I think if you're totally, if you're sitting there and you're always wanting someone to tell you what color to use. It is taking the autonomy away from you in terms of making artistic decisions. Because at that right. point, you're just, you're almost uh, focusing on being a tactician as opposed to being an yeah. artist, in in my opinion. So Absolutely, yeah. I, I feel like while the technique is important and you may feel that like understanding what the right color or knowing what the right color is will help you get there. Yes, it will. But you also need to figure out how to decipher those things on your own. Otherwise, you're always going to be relying on somebody else to tell you. And I think that, you know, one of the ways to do that and to help educate yourself and become more comfortable with that is having an understanding of color theory. So the more comfortable you are with color theory, the more you're going to be able to make those decisions when you look at a piece of art, you know, a photo reference or whatever, you'll be able to say, okay, well, this looks like it's, it's a cooler blue. And, you know, the experimenting again, I talk so much about Having a sketchbook, you know, just yeah. even if it's something that you have with you, um, you know, next to the artwork or the piece that you're working on, where you can just scribble a couple colors together and combine them and see what it creates before you jump into your piece. The more you're yeah. doing those experiments and allowing yourself to have those practice moments, right. the more you're going to be confident enough to make those decisions when you take the training wheels off and you're not following a tutorial anymore. When somebody tells you the exact color to use, it's not helpful. When someone tells you why they chose a color, that can be helpful if you've internalized it and you understand the reason why. And to me, that's what I'm always trying to do is I'm all in my courses and workshops. I'm always trying to educate and talk about why I'm making the choice that I am. And when I say it doesn't matter, the color here doesn't matter, just pick a blue or red. I really mean that. (laughs) It's true (laughs) because I really just pick a whatever, you know, at certain times. Um, So that's always uh, an interesting thing because I remember being in that space, too, where you feel so unconfident about your choices. Uh, I was there. It wasn't that long ago, just a few years ago, where I was just like, no, I need to know that color. I got to have that color. I got to know that one. And uh, when I finally got rid of that feeling and that um, handicap, <laughs> you know, I'll say the handicap, um, then I, I felt so uh, powerful. I really did. Yeah. You know? I want to add to that also, though, there are certain colors that are a little bit harder to make <laughs> with yeah. just even primaries. Like, for example, Mostly a really, really pencil. There's some yeah. really things. That can a happen. really great example is fluorescent pink. <laughs> if something well, we is, just, we don't have it in colored pencil. Yeah. I mean, not anything that's, I mean, it's no, all fusion. Not a, well, not, yeah, nothing that's light fast, but yeah. that, but that's a great example. Like, so right, if you're is. sitting there listening right now and you're like, well, what about this? Color? Understandably, there are going to be hues that, yes, you're going to want a pencil in that actual color because 
it it is almost impossible to recreate some hues because of yeah. the way that they're manufactured. That said, uh, anything that is in the natural spectrum of spectrum of color, so yeah. anything that is an earth tone, that sort right. of thing, is relatively easy to recreate with almost right. any other color. Anything that is like what I would consider a bright or a fluorescent is going to be right. a lot more challenging. So yeah. I just want to you know mention that as kind of like a caveat to everything we just said because. There, there is some exceptions to that. That being said, you know, you should still endeavor to try and, and create, um, colors as much as you possibly can on your own, or at least have an understanding. Because even when you're following those tutorials, like John just mentioned, if you don't understand why a certain color is being used, and especially if it's a, maybe a little bit more of an advanced tutorial, if you don't understand why that color is being blended with another color, um, or you're not, as you're actively doing the tutorial under, you know, make, making yeah. your own mental notes of what's right. happening when you combine those two things, you're always just going to be relying on someone else to tell you how to do it. And that yeah. will, again, it takes your autonomy away from, from being an artist. And I mean, that being said, if you just want to like color a picture and have it be like a paint by number situation with like... Yeah you know, a little bit more freedom, then that's totally fine too, if that's what you're into. Right. But, you know, the, we're generally talking to people who want to, you know, be artists and improve and, and, yeah, you and know, create fine art, level up their work. It, yeah. it, you know, and, and one thing I want to say also, um, so I'm glad we're talking about this, is that Julie Podolsky, she does some things that are really interesting where was also interviewed in the past. So I'll put a link to her uh, interview in the show notes. But she talked to me about using orange once in a while, a really bright orange, in place of our lack of some pinks and reds and those kind of colors to brighten things up. Okay. Now, I don't remember the exact order and I don't remember exact colors, but she's got some really great advice regarding color. And one thing that I will say is that the way that you can get around color limitations in colored pencil is if you're looking at something and you're thinking, I'm not going to have that, that bright of pink or that bright of orange or yellow or red or whatever, you can mute the whole, you can lower the key a little bit and mute the, the entire piece down. It just takes a little bit of work. And then you create more of a boring transition, a, a more muted, a more neutral transition in certain areas. Because colors are all relative, you're creating the illusion then that you've got a really bright, bright pink. And that's really all we are anyway, is we're illusionists. And so we're, we're conveying that this is a bright pink over here. But the real trick wasn't with the pink. It was with all the surrounding colors. Because our knowledge of all of these colors are how to make the transitions more muted. You know, you can't skip that that knowledge. You have to know how to do that. Another really good tip is adding yellow in areas that are white can sometimes make the white look brighter. So it's not just about, you know, in your head, you may think white is, should be brighter than yellow. Why would I put yellow in it? But it's more to do with how those colors are interacting with the colors surrounding it and yeah. those relationships that are ending up creating exactly what you said, these illusions yeah. that are giving um, a different impression of something else. And, you know, if you're, if you're coming from painting, you probably know a lot of these tricks already. 
Um, but I mean, there's definitely things you can learn from other mediums that you can right. then bring into your colored pencil artwork. And I'm not necessarily saying quick colored pencil and go learn how to paint now, but I'm just saying they're all connected. There's a lot yeah. of, um, you know, there's a lot of different techniques that are used with color to, to convey certain things. You know, and on that point about yellow perhaps being uh, not as bright as white, while that may be true, there's a movement, though, right, that happens. And white is just as flat and boring and uninteresting as black is. So we have to have movement within uh, a color range or spectral range, even of the value. So that's what we're doing yeah. with those, uh, you know, these, these sunbursts kind of uh, areas that we can create with yellows and oranges and reds. All right, so let's talk about some favorite resources for color theory and some recommendations. This is always fun. And um, so, Barb, why don't you kick us off here? <laughs> sure. I mean, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but it's uh, the the pocket color wheel. You can get them at almost any art store or an online. Amazon has them. They're really inexpensive. Um if you if you want the Cole, like I always say, the Coles notes—that's such a Canadian reference. If you ever I have want, no idea what that is, <laughs> I know it's like if you want the short version is essentially what it means. It's the condensed okay. version of um, yeah, the Cliff Notes. Sure, there you go. <laughs> I don't even think Coles is around anymore. They might be. Sorry if they are. Right. I, you know, I haven't seen a Coles store in a while. But anyways, there used no to be Coles. a bookstore. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, you know, this is a very short condensed version of color theory and it has a lot of information on it. Um, they come in various different sizes. This is just a small one, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of information on this that'll help give you kind of guidance on color theory and kind of get you started with things. Mm -hmm. Um, another resource, I've had this book for a really long time. It's called the color mixing Bible by Ian Sideway or Sidaway, not, not sure how you pronounce that, but anyways, <laughs> this is what it looks like for people in Monthly Sharper. Um, one of the things I really like about this book is it shows mixing colors, which we talked about earlier, uh, and it shows it in a bunch of different mediums. So there's soft pastel, gouache, um, colored pencils in here, acrylics in here. Oh, that's nice. Show, I'll just show just a quick thing up on the screen here. So it's wow. showing, you know, just how those colors mix together. So if you want the shortcut and you don't want to sit down and do this yourself, you can see, you know, how scarlet red mixes with ultramarine and yeah. what colors you get from that spectrum. So, you know, it's a really helpful guide for, you know, especially if you work in multiple mediums. Um, I really like this one um, for just kind of giving you that understanding of how colors yeah. interact together. That's nice, then, though, that it uses a lot of different mediums. A lot of books yeah, don't do that with. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. I, I mean, I, I'm always a little bit leery when someone calls their book the anything Bible because you're like, well, it better yeah, be good. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. in this case, I actually, it's not really that big, but I find it really, really helpful, especially if you kind of want to nice. just get to the the meat of understanding what color, what happens when different mediums and colors mix together. Yeah, yeah. And then the last one, this is a new book to me, but it's the Color Harmony uh, Pantone Edition. And what I like about this book is, so in the beginning, it talks a little bit about, you know, the different colors and sort of, you know, usages of those colors. And, and I know, need to some, get that book. I've heard so many good things about it. Yeah. Some time. of the, you know, color and moods, so the, uh, you know, a yeah. little bit of the psychology that we talked about. And then at the back, it has like a bunch of um, color combinations that, you know, different palettes together. And they're grouped by, you know, for example, these are... 
I'm, I'm showing an example of a page that says, okay, well, these are considered rich colors. So the combination of rich colors. So, you know, something like a, um, like a violet, a brown and a gold together. And it gives you the Mm. Pantone values, which is great if you're printing things in Pantone. But even if you're not, what I really like about this is it, it gives you an idea. So even like this, this page that I'm showing right now, it's called transcendent. And so there's a picture of this lovely sunset, um, Mm. on a beach. Yeah. And then just kind of some different color palettes. So again, when you're talking about advanced color combinations, um, this book is really great for giving you ideas of like, okay, well, I'm going to do something that's maybe a little bit more monochromatic, but maybe with a pop color. And so mm-hmm. what are some color combinations I can use? Or, you know, if you're deciding to use color pencils a little bit more illustratively, maybe you're not worried about what the real color is and you want to do something more creative. A resource like this is really great for giving you ideas on color combinations, because sometimes that can be hard, too. Like there's one here that's even showing a bunch of bright color combinations. So I really like that for more um, creative thinking projects. Yeah. Okay. You sold me. You really did. I, (laughs) I love that because you can look and see quickly just which colors are going to go together really well. Yeah. Uh, and, and guys, if you don't know, I mean, Pantone, they, they are, they are the guys, you know, they're the people, they're the ladies or whoever, they're the organization that decides these things. Uh, they're like on the leading edge, the cutting edge of what, um, color really is. So there's also a color, an international color council. I don't know if anyone ever knew that, but so no, when they that. decide the colors for like fashion lines, yeah. there's like a, like a color council. Yeah, I always yeah. imagine it's like Zoolander at the beginning of Zoolander when they're like they're all sitting in that like panel shadowy figures like <laughs> just, just and they're deciding what the color of the year is this year. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure that's not yeah. how it happens, but right. But what? Oh, that's actually something I wanted to bring up really quickly is, um, you know, pay attention to what what is considered the color of the year. You can yeah, there's look always at, color um, of the year. What is it this yeah, year? Yeah, or, or even fashion trends. If fashion is yeah. something that really interests you, think about, um, you know, look at, you know, what kind of uh, pieces, what colors you're seeing in trends in fashion that year, and think about infusing that into your artwork because it becomes this sort of uh, subconscious thing when people are thinking about buying things. They're like, oh, I keep seeing this salmon color everywhere, and all of a sudden they're buying salmon things. Like, it's, yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it does play a really large role in marketing and that sort of thing. And, you know, why not borrow that and put it into your artwork and, and do an experiment, <laughs> see if it works, see if people are more drawn to pieces yeah. that you're selling because you've infused those colors. Yeah, there are reasons why they come up with the color of the year. Yeah. By the way, yeah. it's very Perry right now in 2022 <laughs> at the time of this recording. It's very Perry. So very, very interesting. I guess that's a very periwinkle, I guess, is what they're well, meaning there. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it was two colors last year. Was it last year? <laughs> I think it was like a yellow and a gray. It was, you know, so I mean, it's I used to th- keep those up kind with that. Things, I, it's been a while. So I'll I mean, put, it comes up in my feed. I follow them on yeah, Facebook. So. I'll put I'll put this uh, this uh, slide here in the in the yeah. video version over there in member circle. Um, so you guys can take a look at that. But I, I think that's fascinating. Um, John, do you have any uh, recommendations in terms of, I think you have some more practical. Uh, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, there, I mean, there were books that I, I looked at early on. Um, I haven't looked at any, I guess, real intently for a while, but my disappointment was always that, I mean, they were fine. And, 
I took more of, I guess, an eclectic approach where I looked around a lot at different things. But a lot of the books that I looked at were like watercolor, um, you know, things like that. And like, that's not really helping me. <laughs> um, but anyway, the practical advice that I would give is to think of yourself as a color learner. And you think, okay, I want to take more of a pragmatic approach to learning color. And so I want to limit my palette. And that may sound counterintuitive to what you may think. You may think that, uh, no, I want to use, I, if I'm going to learn color, I got to use 500 different colors. You know, No, limit your colors. Limit the amount of pencils that you choose. Try, uh, try just looking around and uh, maybe grabbing the color wheel and saying, Okay, I'm going to make some sample swatches here of triadic colors um, and, and then some analogous. And I'm going to pair those with certain colors in my colored pencils. And I'm going to relegate this to only three to five different colored pencils. And then I'm going to complete a small piece doing that. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It can be a small study. You can do like uh, a cube or a sphere or something like that uh, or apple or pear, right? And um, and just learn those colors so intimately that you know what it does when you la layer, you know, lightly uh, in this area, and then you darken one of the other layers over the other. We we have such an advantage, Barb. I think in colored pencil because of this immediacy of uh, just putting those layers down. And then being able to look at it and that refraction that happens with the semi-transparent layer upon layer of colors, because we can look at that and see what that's going to do. So you take a sample sheet of paper and quickly see what two or three colors will do together. Um, when you do that on your piece, and this is where it gets just so dynamic, I feel like, is if you are adding two or three, four or five, maybe more colors together. You know, it doesn't have to be that many, but what happens is you, you're not pressing all those down. Burnishing is a great technique. It's a different technique, but when you're allowing those pencils to just stack up on top of one another, then you have created something that is so, uh, dynamic and it, it just ebbs and flows. You can, you can make some movement out of that rather than just pushing everything down with solvent or with burnishing or something like that, where you've flattened it out to where you've only got one color. Your eye is not as attracted to that kind of thing. You're not going to see a lot of nuances within that color. And it leads me to one other thing really quick. A lot of times uh, someone will ask me about these color pickers that they see uh, an app where a cup for a color picker. And it'll tell me the exact color pencils that I should use in an area. That again is, it, it's taking over part of your brain. Okay. And it's saying, all right, I see brown in this area. So you go grab your yellow and this purple and this uh, orange and blue together. And it's telling you to create this little recipe. This is what they want you to do. If you want to level up and you want to start learning color theory, then stop using those apps. Get away from that. Look at it for yourself and force yourself to see other colors in a particular area and then try to emulate that in your work. And I think yeah. you're going to learn a lot more doing that. 
Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a big reason, John, why I started um, making color charts for myself as well is just because I was learning my colors a lot quicker doing that because, yeah. you know, I was I had the actual real color because, you know, right. we've talked about this before that, you know, sometimes the barrel color is misleading. So you'll grab a color yeah. thinking you've got, you know, you've picked the right one and then you yeah. go to put it on your piece and realize it's not. So, you know, yeah. for me, even just having that quick reference, taking time to explore that color, seeing what it looks like, you know, I'll tend to do my swatches in a bit of a gradient so that I can see yeah. what it looks like when it's just a little bit of the pigments applied versus what right. full saturation right. is. And right. that's been really valuable for me and understanding, you know, the set of pencils that I have, what the yeah. color looks like. And that to me is almost a better resource for picking color because I can take my, you know, my chart that I've filled out. You can see some of them behind me here, but um, yeah. I can take that chart that I've filled out and even put that next to my artwork and be like, ah, actually, I think I want this one. And and then you're using a little bit more of your own, um, you know, critical thinking to yeah. choose colors instead yeah, of letting really. an app or something else tell you what yeah. the color is, right. um, you know, because you may. And the other thing you need to keep in mind is, you know, when you're following a tutorial, depending on, you know, what the results ends up being, you may not agree that you want to use a certain color. You may think, well, actually, I think I like this color a little bit better. Or for my taste, this color yeah. works a little bit better. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with making those decisions either. You're going to be more proud of something that you have invented, you created like that. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm telling you... um, if I'm if I'm drawing something like in a, a live workshop and then somebody uh, creates their own and they're they're just making up the colors themselves, sometimes I look at what they're doing and like I wish I had chosen those colors yeah. that they had chosen. That's a, gr a great resource though that Barb mentioned there, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Very very accurate and well designed, very nicely designed. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's time for the Art Fact Minute. In today's Art Fact Minute, we are going to talk about the history of cadmium and art pigments. Cadmium paints were first developed in the early 19th and 20th century as a way to replace the fugitive or impermanent yellow, orange, and red hues. Cadmium is a moderately soft metal with a melting point of just over 700 degrees Celsius or around 1,292 degrees Fahrenheit. German chemist Friedrich Strohmeyer discovered cadmium in 1817 and first recommended the use of the bright yellow cadmium sulfide in artists' colors. The production of modern, high-performance cadmiums, especially red, is an expensive and lengthy process requiring only the purest raw materials to produce the best possible color. There's been some conflicting information on the level of possible toxicity in products that contain cadmium, but typically the levels are thought not to be high enough to be dangerous. Despite this, many companies have now started creating cadmium-free alternatives that offer comparable light fastness without the potential toxicity that some customers may be concerned about. If you have any suggestions for the Art Fact Minute, email us at podcast at sharpenedartist.com.
All right. So some final thoughts here. I think that the encouragement is testing and pushing yourself and try to test on your own and see what you can come up with. Go outside of that comfort zone and think about colors that you're seeing. And even if you have a tutorial, then don't look at the color chart. You know, don't look at the supply list on the colors and just make it up. Try that if you're ready for that. If you feel like you're ready for it, go redo a tutorial you you did once before where they told you what colors to use and try to do it without that list and see see what you come up with this time. See if you even choose the same colors and compare your two drawings and see the result. Like, do you like the the newer one where you didn't have guidance better than the other one? Like Mm -hmm. those kind of things will help build your confidence as an artist, too. And I think. You know, sometimes people get really caught up in, you know, I've referred to it as training wheels, but like, yeah. it's okay to use those resources when you're first learning and it can be very helpful. But what I would, again, emphasize is make sure that you're putting some thought into why that person chose those colors for that area as you're creating. Because if you don't yeah. take that part of it as a learning experience, you're always going to rely on someone else to help determine color for you. And there's so much possibility out there with what you can do with color alone in your artwork that you're really limiting yourself if you don't allow yourself the freedom to sort of explore that. All right. Anything else in closing, Barb? I think we've about covered it all. So Yeah, definitely. Great. We've got all the resources for you over there in the show notes. Where do you get the show notes? Someone asked me that the other day. Is that only a member circle? No, it's not even in member circle. It's only at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast and then whatever podcast number this happens to be we've got everything listed if you want to reach out to the show you can do that by emailing podcast at sharpenedartist.com and want to close and read a review in apple Podcasts. five-star review this person says this is by o-x-a-n-c-h-i-k 11 uh, he or she says my most favorite podcast I have been listening to this podcast since I rediscovered my passion for art and seriously decided to learn everything I could to stay up on current artists, techniques, and much more. I wait with excitement for every new episode as I know I will learn something. The artists that I have discovered, the tips I have learned, the products I have never heard of, this has been truly huge value for me. It has greatly impacted the progression of my art. I believe many will join me in feeling the same way. There is a lot of hard work that goes into making each episode happen and all for free advice. I'm so thankful to be able to enjoy the podcast. Thank you so, so much. I, Barb, I really felt that. Did you? I mean, I that really is an A-plus really review did. if I ever really, heard one. My really goodness. Is. I really appreciate the acknowledgement of the hard work. You know, we enjoy doing this, guys, but it is a lot of work. Barb writes the prep notes that we do and also very instrumental with forming the ideas for the shows, writing the Artifact Minute. And does all the graphic design. You'll be really thankful she does that. It'd be a nightmare if I was still doing it. She's a big part of the show. And we do enjoy it. And we like giving free advice. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of man hours that go into John editing the podcast and taking mm-hmm. out all of my uh, ums and you knows. <laughs> and 
and my my stumbles. Basically, we're saying we appreciate you acknowledging that. We really do. There is and a lot of hard work that goes into the show. There is, but there's wonderful collaboration. There would not be a show though if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for you guys listening, we really enjoy hearing from you all. So if you have any suggestions, we want to hear those. Uh, we're always open to any ideas that you guys have and any questions that you have as well. So, all right, we will do this again. So come back again. We don't have all the answers. We want to know what ideas you have about color theory and uh, some of the best ideas that I've ever heard have come from guests on the show uh, or just talking to other artists. And it's just this wonderful collaboration that we all have in this community together. And I think that's what makes it great. So, all right, guys, talk to you soon. Until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye.